Hey everyone, in this episode we speak to Paul Googe and Al Simonite, who between them have such a magnitude of experience, knowledge, and views on leadership and project management. We're sure that you're going to love this, but if you want a bit of a background and perhaps a bit more context, check out episode 13 and 21 when we spoke with Al and Paul in season one. Enjoy the banter and the insight. Here we go. Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. This podcast is brought to you by Plan Academy. Plan Academy is the world's leading learning site for anyone working in construction, project management, or project controls. At Plan Academy, you learn construction, planning, and scheduling theory, how to master scheduling software like Primavera P6, and even advanced construction scheduling techniques. Plan Academy's courses are 100% online and at your own pace. You can learn at the office, at site, from home, anywhere. Check out planacademy.com today for free sample lessons and tons of free video. Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by justdo.com. Justdo is a great business and project management tool we've been using here at Project Chatter. I agree, Val. I like to keep things simple and Justdo is perfect for that. But I do know it's got a lot of powerful functionality as well. And one of my favorites is the task-specific chat. Absolutely. And for all you slackers, don't wait for Monday. Check out justdo.com. Now on with the pod. Hello, project people. Welcome to the Project Shadow Podcast. I'm Val Matthews, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dale Fung. Hi, folks. Hey, Val. Really excited for this episode. But before we jump in, we need to give a shout out to Mr. Dave Pulford, who is a friend of the podcast and director of Vonrose Limited. Dave sent us his awesome shirts. If you're watching us on uh, on YouTube, um, you can see them. But if you're listening to us, they say, what a difference a Dave makes with two massive thumbs up. And uh, he challenged Val and I to wear them on uh, an episode. And if we did, he'd donate £50 to my Movember course, which is amazing. Uh, and he also challenged others out there to, to match him on it. So um, thanks very much for that, Dave. A little bit about Dave. Dave is a project control specialist uh, and he's an EVM subject matter expert. Uh, and we'll hopefully coerce him onto a pod soon. Uh, but if you want to get in touch with Dave, you can check out vonerose.co.uk, and that's spelled V-O-N-N-E-R-O-S-E.co.uk. Thanks, Dale. And Dave, what a great cause. And just a reminder to listeners to hit subscribe. That's the subscribe button on whichever platform you listen to your good podcasts and or on our YouTube channel for bonus bits. Uh, on this episode, we're joined by Al Seminite and Paul Gooch. Hi, Al and Paul. Great to have you on the pod. Hi. Hi. On this pod, we're going to be chatting to Al and Paul about simplicity and complexity and some other ambiguities in projects, um, enough to take us all over the show. Uh, so hang on tight for this one. Uh, but before we do, here's Dal with a short bio for Al and Paul. Cheers, Val. So a short one for Al. Al is the MD of Advanced Consultancy and boasts a background in the military, program management and bid management. Al focuses on empowering leadership and team development. Outside of work, Al is a serious amateur landscape and travel photographer. Slightly uh, longer short version for Paul. <laughs> Paul, 
<laughs> is a <laughs> internationally regarded as a program management and change management specialist. He's noted for his ability to swiftly and accurately diagnose issues and evolve solutions, both from a technical and behavioral point of view. Whilst Paul has spent considerable years operating at board level, he's equally comfortable out in the workplace, possessing a combination of technical professionalism and a high degree of empathy. He's able to work intimately with individuals within a team and the team as a whole in enabling transformation. In all of his senior roles, he successfully implemented capability improvement plans that received significant praise both internally and with the customer base. Over his career, he held a variety of roles, both in line leadership and a number of functional responsibilities, providing him with insights across the whole of the enterprise. He has chaired or sat on a wide variety of internal and external committees and steering groups. An ex-board member of the Association of Project Management, he has continued to work very closely with the organization and was in the first cohort to achieve chartered project professional status. He achieved his MBA from Cranfield University in 1994. Paul retired from full-time employment in 2012 and enjoys a wide range of interests. His portfolio encompasses consultancy work to various companies, the P3M profession, executive coaching, and extensive work with various charities operating locally, nationally, and internationally. He's an avid long-distance walker, worldwide traveler, and greatly enjoys music, reading, sport, fine food, and wine in his spare time. He has recently commenced studying for PhD. He lives in Wiltshire in the UK. Wow, I'm parched after that. I don't know about everyone else, but um, <laughs> that's an amazing bias. <laughs> and, it, and it's well worth reading out. Um, there was a bit of banter before, which was great. Um, Paul and I'll obviously know each other as well as good, our good friends. Um, and the length of bio was was uh, was quite topical um, just before we started. Um, but I want to welcome both of you gents on uh, back from season one. It's um, great to have you back. Um, we, we had a great time speaking to you individually. And, um, you know, we thought let, let's have a, a combination um, and, and, and talk about something very ambiguous, right? Complexity and simplicity. Now, what does that actually mean? I mean, I've also mentioned a whole bunch of other aspects going into the different types of dilemmas you get. Um, but I feel like uh, th this could go anywhere. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll start with Al. Um, simply because Paul got more airtime with his bio there in the beginning. Um, but not only that, Al, you, you mentioned that, you know, you've been speaking about complexity and simplicity in your breakfast club that you have. I yeah. wonder if you could kind of lead us into some of the thoughts and topics you've been talking about. Yeah. So, um, and thanks for that. And always good to listen to Paul's extended bio. Um, <laughs> Reminded of all the things that he's interested in. Uh, you're absolutely right. We, we, we always enjoy a bit of banter. Um, so yeah, complexity and simplicity. This is this is very much in the in the complex major project space. So we we uh, we've been discussing this recently, and, and complexity is in, inherent in the environment that we seem to be operating in. And if the last year is anything to go by, it's only getting worse or more, depending on your definition. Um, yeah, at the same time, you know, one of the real aims of good project management in my view anyway, is to is to try and simplify as much as possible. Um, so this this dilemma comes from this juxtaposition, uh, and Paul will enjoy that word, I'm sure, um, of 
those two elements together and how do that how does that play out in the day-to-day -day lives of, of those involved in delivering projects so the environment itself drives complexity yet at the same time we're trying to simplify the process as much as possible so that we know on an individual level on a day-by-day -day basis what we've actually got to do to get this thing done so there's no there's no answer to that um i don't think and i guess that's the point of having the discussion but there'll be different there's lots of different perspectives on what that actually means and how does that play out to individuals at, at different levels and in different roles and different parts of a major complex project and i i think one of the fascinating behavioral aspects behind this hour is that i think people now get seduced by the idea of complexity it's almost as if there has to be a badge of honor that you know, my project is complex well so is mine in fact mine's more than yours and I agree with that absolutely. Yeah, and mm. so I've been reviewing something recently, and you know all the bid documentation talked about it being a complex project. But quite frankly, when you looked into it, you said, "Well, what actually characterises this as being complex?" And the answer was, "It wasn't particularly, and it isn't, and it shouldn't be." So I guess part of the danger there is that um, if we're not careful, we try to convince ourselves it's complex and we therefore start to apply managerial solutions and behavioural characteristics, which are not the most appropriate to that particular um, situation. Um, so I think that talks to your simplicity point where we're moving away from what could be a relatively simple approach and we're dressing up into something more over-engineering it, second-guessing ourselves. So... I think that's one, and, and many organisations will have their own sort of matrices on you know, how complex is this. Um, and they're kind of mostly similar, the ones that I've seen. They've all got sort of slightly different flavours to them. But I'm not aware, I don't know if anybody else on this call is, is aware of, um, apart from um, there's an organisation down in Val's neck of the woods, the International Centre for Complex Project Management, um, but apart from that, is, is there any sort of coordinating body, um, um, the, the matrix that people could go to, or people just actually just you know, coming up with their own every time and you know, doing the opposite of your you know, keep it simple, stupid, simplicity type uh, yeah. mantra, which I think I heard you said. So we're, we're, we're complicating a situation and we don't understand the difference between complicated and complex sometimes. Um, I'm glad you said that because I was going to mention that if you didn't, yeah. So this is the old mystery wrapped up in enigma type thing, isn't it? It's just like I, I, I think that is part of the problem. Um, I probably there's probably two or three elements to that. But I mean, does that chime with you? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I think the, the the complex versus complicated debate is is an interesting one because a lot of people confuse the two, and I don't think there is a standard definition of the two and what the difference is. And I think, as you said, that's part of the problem. Every organisation, every kind of environment, every sector has a slightly different way of interpreting that. But I think, you know, certainly in the sectors that that I'm in at the moment that we're operating in as a business, you know, so mainly infrastructure, transport, and those kind of related sectors, the complexity comes from the environment, from the stakeholders, um, from the requirement setting environment, not necessarily from the delivery of the project. So the, the building of an asset, um, a bridge, you know, a building or whatever, um, yes, it's complicated, it's technically complicated, but it's 
and I'll probably don't shout at me on the sort from the audience on this one. It, it's not difficult. It's straightforward. You you, you know, build foundations, you build a structure, you fit it out, you commission it, you deliver it to the owner. Um, I'm not denying there are huge challenges in doing that, but actually the process is itself you know, relatively straightforward. The complexity comes from you know, the funders, the stakeholders, the community, um, government, from politics, um, all those other things. And I think that is... If we can separate those two out a bit, I think that it makes the, it makes the environment slightly easier to understand. Does that chime with you, Paul? Yeah, I, I a, a, Sorry, just to jump in there, I did find a, a reasonably useful paragraph around this, which is basically what you're saying. It says, when we say something is complex, we usually mean it's not straightforward, which is what you're saying. And then it says, when we say it's complicated, we typically mean it's not working like we'd like it to. Yeah. Is that mm. kind of... Yeah. It is, yeah. 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 Is that from chapter two of your memoirs, which you're still writing about? <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's, it's, it's in one of Paul Goodger's books. I can't release the title just yet. But. <laughs> that's because so, he's not written it. So um, that, that's a great, that's a great um, um, quote there. I think what we're touching on, a couple of things here for me, is one that, uh, again, back to what Al was saying, I mean, to me, there's, there's a continuum here, and sometimes we think it's discontinuous, and I don't think it is so much. Um, yeah, there's there's degrees of complexity, um, but though we've still got those basic um, um, techniques that we should all be very familiar with, um, and it, we we ignore those at our peril. Now, if we if we move away from those, then you know, regardless of debate about just how complex it really is, the thing's going to fall over because we still need to get those basics of integrated master scheduling, risk management, you know, whatever own value management or proxy we're using. But there is something for me very much about what Al said there about the dynamic interfaces, you know, significant political, external um, interfaces, communications. And, you know, the more you've got of those, you know, it's, it's a, you know, the, the geometric progression, isn't it? The number of interfaces you have and how that plays out, that stakeholder management. On the, on the actual thing itself, whatever thing we're talking about, I think another dimension is around the sort of technology characterizes complexity in project delivery is when the technology solution is a generation or more beyond that which you currently understand so you can only define by um, by outcome rather than by um mm. uh, by effect rather than how you actually get there by the solution and so there's this there's this um ability to actually almost sort of go on trust that i don't know how i'm going to get there um, I don't quite know what the next generation is going to give me, but I have trust in my processes and the ability, and you know, I can do some historical um, analysis, etc. But there's going to be an element of trust that I can get there, and that's what makes it uncertain and what makes it complex, because the various factors that play into how is that going to play out with those um, stakeholders and everything else, that's where I think um, um, complexity gets very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Can I just come back on that a second? I apologize, you know, Dale and Val. We probably feel like we're going to cut you out of this one. I mean, you, you, I think you touched on a really interesting point there, Paul, which is this alignment or, or misalignment of complexity and uncertainty. And, and I think they, they again get conflated perhaps in some people's minds, but I think there, there is a difference between the two, isn't there? And how you deal with uncertainty and how you are agile and flexible in your approach to deal with the unknown unknowns or the Rumsfeld equation, if you like, um, is perhaps quite different in, in terms of thinking to how you deal with known complexity. 
Yeah. So in terms of leadership skills, if you're, mm. if, you're, if, you're the, if you're the project leader for a complex project, what do you think are some of the sort of key skills you need to be able to effectively discharge that out? Well, you've, gone, you, you've hit my favourite topic, as, as Val and, and Dale know. Um, for me, leadership is about creating the environment and, and recognising the right environment for the, the where you are in, in a project or a programme. So leadership is about enabling, enabling those around you, those that work for you, those that work with you. So if you're working in a complex and uncertain environment, then it's about creating the environment where there's that, and I'll use the phrase, psychological safety to explore, to explore new ideas. And your point about technology, you know, what is the, what is the next generation beyond where we are now that we can use to deploy in this project to create this asset or to, to generate this outcome that's going to improve the journey and, and the outcome? That, that requires that explorative culture in the organization and that has to come from leadership so there's got to be a willingness to try and fail but ban that in a way that it's not going to fail the project um i could probably go on and on but that's that's probably a starting point uh, I, I think it's a fundamental uh, building block i agree completely it's about yeah being bold um holding the teams accountable but having faith in their ability to you know do that fail fast yeah. learn um, yeah. Yes, that, but the bounds around that. I agree. So, I mean, holding accountability, absolutely, but also being accountable for that through yourself. And, and I, you know, one of my favourite leadership phrases is, you know, all of the blame, none of the credit. Mm. Um, I think that that encapsulates for me what you know what good leadership you know should be like, which is, you know, if 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 your team do good work, you, know, you you let them take the credit for that, yeah. but by giving them the empowerment and delegation to make mistakes when they make mistakes you're also equally you know accountable upwards in the um in the podcast i had the pleasure of doing um some months ago now some moons back with with val and Dale. if my memory serves um one of the things i was wittering on about was about sort of adaptive leadership styles mm. and you know an enlightened project leader will understand that um, it's a guy who's closest to the uh, to, to the coal face to what's going on that will have the answer yeah. really. And your job is to kind of really you know, set the framework for them, uh, ask the right questions, and, and help them get there. And I think that just gets writ large in a complex project management situation. Although part of the wrap around that is that it's even more important, even more difficult to be able to sell a vision of you know where you're going. Yes. What's what's the what's the um, the acronym that I think the Americans tend to use? VUCA. Um, Valo, oh, yeah, volatile, yeah. uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Is that the one? VUCA. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'd like to challenge back on that in a minute because there's another acronym that we use, which I think is describes the complex project space even better. But I'll let you finish off your train of thought. Okay, cool. Uh, what was my train of thought? Just remind me. So um, <laughs> maybe that's the complex environment we're operating in. And, uh, so yeah, so writ large with the wrap around this, and so you know, it, it, it's 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 right and proper to uh, to to hold teams accountable and to give them that space, as I think we've just been discussing. But they're going to be feeling uncertain as well, um, and and somehow you need to be able to exhibit that sort of sense of confidence that it's okay 
Now, going back to that point about the technologies beyond what we know at this moment in time, you've got to be able to convince yourself, convince other people that I know what the game plan is. I know how we're going to get there. You know, maybe I can't share all of it with you right now because, you know, there's bits that, that we're uh, and the truth, the truth quite often is you actually kind of make it up a bit as you go along because there is no playbook for this. But you somehow got to um, convince, I'll say, yourself and others that it's okay. It's a 10-chapter book. You know, I've given you the first two chapters. I'm giving you chapter three next week. Um, and it's all going to be okay. Now, you're desperately trying to work out what chapter three is yourself and whether there really are 10 chapters. But, you know, that's part of your role. That's part of what I think you have to do. Some people are very comfortable in that space and some people aren't. Um, so anyway, you, you wanted to challenge me on the whether Vuk oh, well, no, no. develop the thought really. I think I totally agree with that that sort of ten chapter right, right the third chapter kind of point. And I think, as you say, but there's also nothing wrong with with admitting an element of vulnerability. And I think the other key aspect of leadership is 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 a, is a willingness to accept some vulnerability um, and recognise that you're not there as a leader to do everything and know everything and understand everything. It's about catalyzing the team around you to do all those things with you and, and for you and on your behalf. But I think the so the other acronym that, that we use that kind of builds on VUCA is, is CATUR, C-A-T-U-R, and that's complexity, ambiguity, ambiguity, tension, uncertainty, and risk. Okay. I think, um, and it's kind of, and my colleague Alexander will hopefully uh, give me a thumbs up for sort of using that because it's something that, that he's been developing within our work we do. Um, I think those five, you know, kind of build on VUCA a bit, but actually if you put them in the complex project space, they're sort of really, so the tension bit I think is the difference. And it's recognizing that in these environments, there is going to be tension. There's gonna be tension between the external stakeholders, the funders, the requirement setters, the deliverers, um, across all tiers of, you know, of, of delivery. Um, and you're never gonna remove that tension because it's inherent in the environment. So the, the, the simplification comes from recognizing then and, and, and managing and dealing with that tension in a productive and positive way rather than a negative way. Does that make sense? I think so. And, and as you explain it to me, the words going through my head are words like humility and openness. Mm. So, um, no, it, it's being humble enough to say, hey, be honest, you know, you're the senior stakeholder and, you know, I'm not sure if there are 10 chapters. I'm not really 100% sure what chapter three is. But, you know, I've got a pretty good idea. But, you know, we are open to ideas here. We are yeah. actually open to your, your suggestions. So I think that's important. If I understand it rightly, that's important because that's where you move from destructive tension to creative tension, which is you know, what yeah. we aspire to. Um, so and tension is important. You need, you need an element of tension to generate that creativity, don't you? If you don't, if everyone, if you get this... And this is where we talk about diversity and diversity of thought rather than sort of the, the standard you know, view of diversity. If you don't bring diverse ways of thinking and, and behaving into a team, albeit they've got to be aligned, you don't get that energy and that uh, dynamic and that innovation that you're looking for to generate the solution that's going to give you this outcome better, faster, cheaper, or even just to get it done in the first place. So my, my suspicion is people listening to this, um, I, I, I'd like to think that more than one, more than Dale and Val will ever listen to this. Um, there'll be well, some, people, some people out there in complex project land who are going through this, going, well, it all sounds great in theory, guys, but hang on a minute. What's it like for me in, yeah. the, in the hour? And you know, if I go back to some of my experience, um, you now it's the loneliness of command and it can feel very lonely. 
And I think there's some interesting sort of human behavioural um, dynamics which inevitably kick in. It's an old saying about, um, you know, failure is an orphan and success as many parents. And when you've got, you know, a, a complex, and it's not immediately obvious to anyone how you're going to get there, there will be a lot of people that will want to distance themselves from it until they can see that success really is coming and is around the corner. They wouldn't want to be associated with it beforehand unless they had to. So I think it's part of an interesting challenge about how can you draw in other um, stakeholders um, that can provide those ideas to you know, help create that creative tension that you've just been talking about so mm -hmm. that you have a more enhanced solution when, quite frankly, people are going to be very nervous about it. And there's always good reasons to go and do something else. So you've got, you know, there'll be people out there at moment in time that are desperate for some genuine proper help as opposed to the help that's normally applied in the drive-by shooting scenario. Um, but how do they manage to engage those people? Because, you know, it's going to be tough. It is. It yeah. is. I, I'm loving this, Val. Um, yeah. It's, it's I let you get a word in No, no, this is great because the more that Al and Paul talk, uh, the better for everyone else, I think. Um, they, they listen to us enough. But I just wanted to comment um, before handing to to Val um, to I guess shoot the the next question or even if you want to change direction, um, but there's no no real need to. I think this is a great rabbit hole. Just when you when you were talking about complexity and and um, I was thinking upfront, how do we know whether something is complex or complicated or simple? And one of the things that the the, the organisation I'm working in have is what's called a characterization matrix where uh, you take all of the various aspects and, you know, being very methodical in control space, um, you assess, you know, how, how, what is the nature of the uh, technical solution? What, how, how large is the team size? Um, what is the commercial setup, et cetera, et cetera. And based on, on those types of marks, strategic importance, the works, you come out with whether it's a simple project uh, all the way through to a, you know, a, a highly complex one. Um, but then the other thing that also popped into mind was perhaps we need something like a balanced scorecard to also see where this all fits in as well. Um, and then you can potentially me measure it along, along the way. Um, so yeah, just, just one or two comments, but I'm, I'm loving this, Phil. I think, uh, you know, if we commented halfway through the pod and, you know, just let the first half and second half be Alan Paul, I'd be happy. <laughs> yeah, so let, let, let me be clear. You, you've interrupted to say that you didn't think there's a need for you to interrupt. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, good. <laughs> is that an unnecessary complex intervention then? It is. I was also yeah. thinking Paul was, um, Al's bio and your bio, a, a example of simplicity and complexity as well, but we won't go there. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd like to explain it to you, but I fear it, it doesn't matter. Carry on. It, yeah, it'll go straight over my head. <laughs> Mic drop. All right. So in response? I mean, just give, give, then I'm going to what Dale said. Uh, so what uh, Dale said about the sort of the, the characterization matrix, I guess the question back is once you've categorized something in those in those boxes, what does that mean for then how you go and then deliver that differently? Right. Yeah. What What does the the highly complex mean in terms of you do more or differently than you would done in a complex or a simple project? Because I yeah. think, and, and how you work around the boundaries of that as well. Because these things, you know, you end up with a very, you know, if it's if it scores ninety one, it's it's highly complex. If it scores ninety or below, it's it's complex. But that's that's never a, 
a, a sort of definitive line is it no so it's not a it's not an overall total mark and you go this is one size fits all you'd have a look at what is making it complex and mm. what, what what which areas are more simple so if if for example the the nature of the contract the commercial setup is particularly complex then you'd want to bolster that and perhaps the technical solution isn't and so it depends. It depends. Like I say, it's an assessment rather than this is the score and you're complex. And so this is, will shoehorn you into this box. Um, it's, it's more, a, um, a process where you can understand what should I be focusing on? Um, mm-hmm. because as you say, what makes a, a project or program or even portfolio complex while well, there's various factors. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's again, one of those, 50 shades of gray moments in, in the project space where there isn't one answer, but it, it, it does allow you projects. <laughs> Very interesting projects. Um, but it does allow you to identify what makes it complex and what makes it simple rather than so, just saying I'm working on a complex project. So, so for me, dad, I guess my, my perspective on that, apart from that terrifying insight into what your reading habits are um, <laughs> is that what what I'm understanding with this sort of characterization uh, matrix or however you want to call it, balance scorecard, for me, that's not a, an end in itself. It's a means no. to an end. Yep. So for me, it's very much about just facilitating and enabling the discussion. Now, we've got lots of these sort of tools. Um, and as long as, and, and I think the danger sometimes is, and you know, Al and I have both spent you know, quite a bit of time with engineering-led companies, even when they profess not to be their engineering-led companies. You know, if you cut them open and do your um, MBTI on it, they're going to be ISTJs. You know, this is the way they see the world. And there's a danger that we, we you, you provide that sort of framework and that becomes it and it becomes definitive. And I think what we're talking about here, you know, the way it should be interpreted can get lost. I think there's a danger there because for me it's about, okay, now it enables a discussion. And yeah. as we don't lose sight of that, and I think there's a danger we do. Uh, it's just sort of um, unintended consequence that when these things get get put out there into the world, they get they get misused, not in any malicious, intentional way. It's just what happens. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. You know, you, you, if you don't use the tool in the correct way, then absolutely. And I think what you're pointing out is that that framework then becomes really important because if it's just focused on one specific view let's say engineering from a from that standpoint then you won't get all all the the full perspective from from the entire organization um and and i think that's that's the the point really is and and i agree with you it it shouldn't be you know we've assessed this and now forever till the end this is this is where we'll shoehorn this this project into um but yeah, I know Val's dying to also get a get a comment or question in there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let him talk a bit. Well, <laughs> you want to come back on as well. If if, if Val's gonna move on, I just want to make a comment back on that. Or do you want to yeah, comment? Yeah, for it. I'll come after you, Al. Uh, I'd like to come in after Al. <laughs> Good. Um, there's one point I wanted to pick up on this this sort of characterization as well, which I think it goes to something that Paul mentioned earlier on about. You know the audience, and um, you know, what does this mean for me sitting in a sitting in a complex project doing this job day to day? Complexity isn't isn't correlated with scale, and I think at an individual level, it's very much not correlated with scale. Because if you're you know, a project manager leading a relatively small project, your complexity is going to be high. 
because you're dealing with so many different aspects. Whereas if you're in a, if you're in a mega project, there's going to be teams of people and each will have their own specialization and niche. So at an individual level, they'll be much more narrowly focused and, and, and hence operating in a perhaps a slightly less complex individual environment. So I think we need to be careful not to correlate uh, individual complexity and organizational complexity because they are different. Agreed, definitely. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing I think we need to take into account if we're going down this path um, is a temporal aspect to this. So I think there's also a danger of organizations. You run this thing at the outset and it's set in stone for the duration. And the point is you should revisit this. You know, there's going to be activities that the organization will be doing to try and de-risk, to de-complexify de simplif um, various aspects of it. And I think that sometimes gets lost. It's like you know, the old business case that gets drawn up for a major project with um, with its MDAO, its, um, no, um, its master database of assumptions and so on. Um, that doesn't get, business case doesn't get revisited. These things get used once and and they set the course for the remainder when they should be being re revisited. So I, I'm not against it in, in, in principle. I just think in practice, there's a few pitfalls that it seems over the years in different ways we haven't necessarily learned from. Yeah, wow. I, I was just going to add, no, I was just, I'm, I'm happy just sitting here, listening to you guys badger on. Um, but I agree with you guys. I think with this characterization, I don't, I don't understand unless I know the outcome, why it would be of value if it, if it's effectively adding value to the objective of making successful projects, whatever the measures might be, then it's a, a good idea. But I see this time and time again as well, where uh, policy defines behavior versus behavior defining policy. And this has happened on projects where I'll have to fill in blank spreadsheets because that's the process, even if I have nothing to add. It's just this cumbersome, low-value transactional work that gets in the way. And that can make it complex because you've got these many parts, but there's an element of, of doing more with less, which we've all done on projects. It's like, what do you start, stop, and continue? And we do these retrospective boards wherever we go now. We say, right, if we got everybody in a room, we said, what do you want to stop? Everyone's really good at that. What do you want to um, continue? And what do you want to start? Where people get stuck is on the start tab. Yeah. Um, so there's not a lot of people who completely understand how to manage ambiguity and try and as well make their jobs like kind of fill a bag type style where, you know, they want to make their job sound important, not because they have to, but because out of necessity, there's there's a there's an element of role that they need to consume. So if you put a position description in place, it's almost like a, a prophecy in some way. Some personalities will define themselves by that role description and thus anything outside of that becomes overspill and someone else's problem. This is particularly on bit mega projects. So that becomes complex for somebody else. Um, I just wanted to add that. Um, but but in terms of this, what you guys were talking about, I wrote it down a minute ago because you all had acronyms and I didn't have one. And I thought, well, I better write one down. So I come up we, with V-Lice. We've, we've got one about you we can share later. Is it about my hair? <laughs> or the no, cat on our lap? It's in, it's in it somewhere, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Good. V-Lice, uh, vulnerable leaders in complex environments. Stay with me. There is a triangle. And in this triangle, there is trust certainty and simplicity so you feel free to put that in your books if you're listening um that's me over over to you paul or al for comment well you guys know i like a triangle model so uh yeah <laughs> hang, hang on val we can't let you get away with that you just throw yeah. that in there it, this is this is I, your, 
it's, it's, this is how Australians have helped the world wars, isn't it? They just walk into a room, take the take the pin out of the grenade and walk out whistling, saying, yeah, I'm going to put another shrimp on the barbie. That was fine. I mean, what, what? This was, this, hey, this came from you guys. I was purely playing it back. And as I as you guys spoke, I just, I wrote it down. Vulnerable leaders. Yeah, that's a really important thing. In complex environments, absolutely. And then what would you need? And you talked about psychological safety, which would be a trust element, certainty, which you were talking about what that chapter three looks like. And then simplicity, which is about understanding that complex versus complicated and how we could bring that back to something that everyone could actually go on board with, enablers, engagement. So really, you guys came up with this. I just was the uh, the puppet. Company, Write it down. Whatever you want to call me. Yeah. How's that? Is that better? Um, yeah, joint copyright. We're good with that. I think there's a, there's a human nature aspect but to this, which we kind of touched on already, which is how do people develop and progress and, and make careers in this space and right or wrong it's not by delivering what seem to be the simple easy projects it's by battling through the difficult complex projects so there's there's almost a counterintuitive behavioral element here and, and paul touched on this earlier about you know making things more complex than they need to be because that's how you make your reputation if, 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 if you've delivered a project and you've done a huge amount of work behind the scenes to simplify that, make it work, have you know, a really great operating slick team, and that project just gets delivered, people will go, well, of course, because that was an easy project. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you've then delivered the really challenging, up against it, heroic project, like, oh, he did a great job there because look at what he delivered in that, in that difficult environment. Which one of those is the, is the more successful, the better leader? Um, yeah, I'll leave you to decide, but I've got a view. And, and there's so much wrapped up in that. And I'm not nodding my head. You know, it's the old thing about um, you know our, our best arson, our best firefighters tend to be our best arsonists. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what does what does success <laughs> look like? You know, success you don't really yeah. notice it. Yeah, um, yeah. and yeah, all, all too often some, I'm hearing what you're saying. So. And it's, it's fascinating. So the, the people that most naturally gravitate towards this and are good at it, um, and the two aren't necessarily the same, it is fascinating. So I mentioned the ICCPM earlier, and I know they've got a, a course on how to you know, train people in this regard. But there's, there's huge limitations to training when it comes to this. One, because they're all different, as we've been discussing. And all too often, I don't know about you, but now when you have training providers come to you and say, hey, I've got a great course for you, it's worth no buying it off of me. I mean, the, the, the curriculum tends to be based upon yesterday's or even last year's problems. Yeah, it, it is not based. And there's a time lag, I understand, with coming up with some decent training interventions. But the fundamental principles and what is based, I think, are somewhat outdated. And... And when you start to get into that debate about, well, whether it's a relatively simple, straightforward project or a more complex one, it's this point about do we actually understand why projects go wrong? And on the one hand, you can say, well, we do, because we've got a top 10 list. And my top 10 list will look like your top 10 list. It would look like Dale's and Val's, yeah, and anybody else's. And if we go back 10 years and say, what's your top 10 list look like? It looks pretty much the same. Yeah. So does that tell us we do know or does it tell us we don't know? Because project uh, delivery success isn't getting much better, certainly not in this country if you look at the uh, NAO-type reports. Yeah. Um, 
So well, they're 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 they? in lessons learned from major programs, which came out last week, which is, you know, as usual, quite insightful. But as you say, it's nothing we haven't seen before. Um, but I, I guess the issue is, is um, what when we're operating that space, do we actually are we incentivized as individuals and organizations to properly learn from others? Or are we incentivized to create our own environment and do things, you know, new and hence potentially repeat the, the mistakes of our, our forebears and predecessors? So I think we've got to start looking at the broader environment that incentivizes people and incentivizes careers in this space. Because unless we tackle that, we're just going to go around this boy every single mega and, and complex project that we, that we, that we uh, operate in. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take that as rhetorical. So yeah, oh yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, but how how do we how do we achieve that philosophical shift though that's required? <laughs> well, there's the question. Um, the, the the one of the debates we had when we we touched on simplicity and complexity was the role of the requirement setters, as in the clients, and how did clients start to define what they need, and how that how we get there in a in a in a different way. Um, and a lot of the you know, the UK public sector clients at you know, HS2 and, and Crossrail and, and places like that, they've very much got this sort of the social value angle and apprenticeships and skills. But ultimately, it's about delivering a tangible asset. And that ultimately requires you to, to put concrete in the ground and build something. So I think another element of complexity is coming from those those clients and those requirement setters by increasing the complexity of, of what is needed to be done and moving away from the simple act of building something. Because by building something right on time, you know, beautifully and effectively, you are creating value. Do we need to over over egg that that debate? I don't know. And maybe that's a, as a, as a maybe that's a controversial view to say we don't necessarily we, we put too much emphasis on on skills and diversity in community when actually all we need to do is build the asset right and well. I may have misunderstood Al because what I heard in your previous was about um, the way we go about reward systems within organisations. Yeah, maybe I've mixed two points up there, but I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. Yeah, it's how do we recognise and reward people who are very good at plagiarising, you know, about taking stuff, repurposing it. Because you know, yeah. we, we hear the language, yeah, that's uh, a great subject for the, uh, for the C-suite in the boardroom. And yet when mm. it comes down to it, uh, organisational heroes tend to be the guys that have you know, done the Red Adair bit, have done the uh, firefighting, sorry, arsonist, so which one did I mean, um, act. Um, so there's some sort of disconnect which is preventing us from going to that place which we seem to recognize um and maybe it's just something it's inherent it's an imminent part of um of who we are as project managers so let's have a bit of self-reflection some reflexivity as Val would probably call it in a triangular two by two multi-dimensional playing chess against Spock type um as project managers do we accept intellectually emotionally that our job is really about being boringly predictable hmm. i think we should but i don't think we do because because really yeah. that's what that's what we're, we're about aren't we we're about like there's nothing to see here move on yeah i'm on cost i'm on schedule now i've got 1.01 on cpi and spi yeah. my tcpi yeah. below yeah nothing to see everything's good 
Um, and yeah, I can actually give up some resource because quite frankly, I'm being efficient enough that I can do that. Is that an attractive scenario for most of the PM population? I'll put it out there for discussion. Uh, yeah. I'll let Valentel come back on that one, give them a bit of a chance to say something. We used, always, we used to always have a dig at the engineers, didn't we, about gold plating? Um, and maybe there's some element of project managers in some form of the other, um, you know, embellishing their role to do more than they actually need to do. And, you know, we used to think it was weird when they thought the term exception management was was foreign. They'd, they'd be like, what? But I want to see everything. It's like, why? What mm. What do you really need to do with that? Um, um, so, yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. I think you're hitting something. Uh, you're hitting a nerve for me, certainly. That, that there's some element of the job that should be just like move on. There's nothing to see here. Um, by the way, if there's everything's on track, if we're on budget, on cost, on time, on quality, then let's not have a meeting to discuss me doing well. Let's continue on. Um, certainly, uh, yeah, we are a superstructure of unusual norms that, whether it's cultural or not, we seem to do them almost automatically so there'll be an end of month review that'll take you know, a, you know a good quarter of your brain i think to come up with some type of story to weasel your way out of some delay that may or may not be um relevant in a couple of months if you actively pursue the mitigations rather than uh, talking fluff upstairs uh yeah i think you're on a, on a point there for sure dale i was just thinking you know to the question of project managers in general and if we assume that project managers are typically narcissistic does that then <laughs> sort of uh, create the need to have or be involved in something more complex and henceforth if it is simple then it doesn't fulfill that narcissistic need um, that was what was going through my head um but i wonder anyone um, in particular Sorry, Anyone specifically? Or? <laughs> no, I mean, right. maybe no, Val, Val Matthews, perhaps. <laughs> I think you fit something there, though, and it goes back to this heroic culture. And I, I'm equally guilty of this. I, I love to be energized and enthused to deal with difficult problems. And if, you know, I have a phrase if I come to work, I've got 10 things to do, I'll do 12. If I come to work and I've got one thing to do, I probably won't do it. Um, and I think that's you know, indicative of, of you know, my style and, and, and obviously a number of different styles. But that, that nirvana of that, as, as Paul just described it, and nothing to see here, move on, it's all on track, I'm giving resource back. That's, dare I say it, potentially boring, um, but it gives you the better outcome. So there you go. There's, take it back to the title of this. There's, a, there's an inherent dilemma in, in what we do. By the way, Dale, you are aware that Narcissus wasn't actually in love with himself, per se. He was in love with an image reflected back to him that he didn't know was himself. Ooh. I did not know that. but Deeply philosophical for the man doing the doctorate. Yeah. Um, I actually think it's more of a, sorry, just jumping in, I think it's more of an attention deficit disorder that most project managers probably suffer from. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a shiny thing that comes along and they're like, oh, that looks fantastic. Yeah. Let me get involved in that. Um, so tell sorry. us about your childhood, your early childhood, Val. <laughs> we haven't got that long. <laughs> um, so, but here's the thing, um, which I think is related to this. Um, 
there's an old expression about IQ will get you the job, EQ will get you promoted. And and I think as project managers, we like to think ourselves as being quite smart. You know, a lot of us, although not myself, you know, come through the engineering route. And that's interesting and challenging, though, being a chartered, you can now be a chartered project professional, as we know. But, you know, there, there's a sort of badge here about intellectually getting this stuff, being un- understand it, how things fit together, seeing patterns and trends and stuff like that. And that becomes our, our safety blanket, it becomes our comfort. But then to really, I think, to progress and to be the sort of leader that I think I heard Al sort of referring to, which I agree with earlier and stuff, it's this development of EQ. And that is not such a comfortable place for people. And I think you know, if, 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 if there is some blockers around this, it's this. It's understanding this, this journey. We've got to say journey every day, don't we? I think I've got there. Um, about if you agree with it, you know, it's this notion that IQ will get you the job, EQ will get you promoted. And I think there's a lot in that which I don't think is widely either uh, understood or, or, or accepted at the um, emotional as well as the intellectual level. No, I'd agree. And we have a model that, that supports that, Paul, which we deploy, which is what we call suitability and eligibility. And so if you're eligible, that's your IQ piece. You know, you've got the technical competence, the experience. But are you suitable? Are you suitable you know, culturally you know, with leadership style? You know, does, it, does the ethos align with, with what the organisation wants and needs? And you, you have to have two, those both elements together to be successful. Yeah. And we tend to focus in t- inherently on on the eligibility piece, the technical competence and the experience, and, and less so on the, as you say, the EQ element. And, and I think part of what holds us back in all of this is, again, maybe because we, um, because of our backgrounds, um, we, we have this desire, even this need to try and find some way of modelling what's going on. And, you know, to pick your, pick your average run-of-the-mill um, complex project the ability to actually model that in any way which is suitably representative and can be used for decision-making purposes. I haven't seen one yet. Um, yeah. And yet I think we get seduced by that and we get seduced by um, by people who come along and say they can do it for us. Mm-hmm. And with the difficulties, the multi-dimensional, multi-dimensional nature of the things we're talking about, I just think it's a it's a fool's errand to try and actually pursue that. Um, and I think it runs counter to the, let's just go back to basics, it's part of a continuum, let's understand uh, the fundamentals of what we should be doing. It's part of what I heard Dale saying um, as part of the characterization. Let's not just say everything's complex. Yeah, some elements of this aren't. Take the temporal dimension into account, and these things aren't as complex as they were because we now know more. Um, and... And so, yeah, I get I get worried that we try and model it. Whereas, of course, you no. Know, what's the best bit of software we have on every project? Yeah, and um, brains are wonderful things. They start as soon as we wake up in the morning and don't stop until we get to the office. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're in danger of opening up the whole discussion for me around digitization, digitalization, and the AI debate we had back in the summer. Um, which is a whole other topic I won't, I won't dwell into, but the, the danger of trying to model and hence digitally recreate all of that, I think is is for those who are the digitalization gurus is, is one of the danger points for me. And, and when, you, when you get into the conversation about, well, it has to be all about digital transformation, my, my response to always to those those conversations has always been in order to do what? 
Exactly. Or articulate. Sorry, Paul. If we go back to the premise that one of the fundamental definitions defining characteristics of complexity is uncertain um, dynamic interfaces with a multiplicity of stakeholders, yeah. Tell me, tell me how you model that in a in, in, in some bit of software. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's just have to hold off until machines can code machines. So when machines model machines, then machines can figure that out. There is this thought that, um, you know, um, behaviors and emotion are just chemical reactions. And as soon as computers can start figuring out chemical reactions that people are going through, they can start preempting, you know, behaviors. But I think we're a long way off there. And that's potentially, you know, sci-fi movie space. Oh, um, <laughs> preempt, probably not, but influence, definitely. Um, but I think there's a, the, you know, the, the lack of emphasis on culture. I mean, we haven't talked about culture directly yet, but but that's another interesting facet around projects, particularly mega projects, where there just there just isn't any. Um, it seems like there is no priority around culture. I could ask you. So, if you if you look at your your waiting list, Dale, and in that characterization sheet, where does it say culture, or does it, or doesn't it? Well, well, the, this is the, this is the thing. It's so. So that framework is whatever you want to put in uh, in terms of characterizing. So if culture is something okay, you so want you, to characterize, yeah, you, then you absolutely yeah, yeah. put that in. That is a theme. If if culture is not a big if culture is not a big deal, then you don't put it in. So if you're living if you're in Australia in the outback and there's no one really visits there, is culture a big thing? Probably not. Everyone's the same culture, maybe. Um, <laughs> I don't know. In a barbecue, it, that's all you need. Perhaps. But if you're in London yeah. with a melting pot of cultures, you absolutely want to have that in there. You want to understand, you know, um, am I dealing with um, perhaps overseas suppliers, um, subcontractors, language barriers, as you say, customs, the works, time zones, um, all those things potentially play into it. Um, but I was also thinking if I'm working on a project and I'm, I'm not explicitly told and, and I shouldn't be explicitly told, but how, what are the telltale signs that I'm in a complex project environment or, or project itself versus something that's just complicated? What, what do I look out for? Before we get into that, um, I don't know if the bottom left of my screen, when I look at you, Dale, where it says critical, it's a comment upon your interviewing <laughs> style or your battery level. <laughs> yeah, it's the snack level. <laughs> That's critical. So, so snack you, levels. You don't have to worry about your battery level. It's got critical. No, you're okay. No, I'm. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> okay. Do you want to go that one first, Paul? Or I wasn't listening to a word he said. What was he on about? <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Al. <laughs> um. So for me, so for me, it's um. Because I was, I was paying some attention. Um. It's. <sighs> The, the the level of difficulty in drawing a relatively straight line between where I am to where I need to be, you know, to, to get off contract. Um, and, you know, I've been on some fairly big projects um, and back to Al's point about complicated versus complex. Even on complicated projects, I think I've been able to draw a pretty good straight line that gets me there, um, continuous straight line. And I think, you know, the more complex it gets, the more that line gets a little bit dotted at times. There's a little sort of discontinuous break up somewhere. And, you know, and and that's, we talked about that earlier, I think, sort of that element of trust. So 
and, and and that sounds like a simplistic way of describing it. But in my mind, it's 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 it, it belies a huge amount of difficulty in actually being able to do that. Um, but I think that's part of you know, being a competent project manager. I think it's been part of a competent business manager when you're reviewing these projects, even if they, even if the team themselves can't quite see it, you can see how they're going to get there, perhaps with some some help and intervention. So for me, in, in, in a simplistic response to, I think, a, a very good uh, deep question, that would be my immediate response. Yeah, and I, I guess picking on, on Dale's point about what, what would you look for and, and, and want to see in an environment to decide whether it was complex or otherwise. Um, this is where I get to do my, my, for those of you not watching the video, my Mr Bond moment with my cat. Um, ah, Mr Bond. Um, I think it's it's that clarity. If if when you walk into a project team room, for one better word, virtual as it is these days or, or otherwise, if you can't understand what everyone's doing very quickly, because there is that complexity, that overlap, that ambiguity of you know, who's doing what. You've got you've got so many different you know stakeholder groups represented. And because, especially when we get to the larger scale, you tend to operate in organisations that are multi-organisational themselves, so joint ventures, alliances, partnerships, whatever one you call them. When you've brought those different organisations together and you've got those different cultures, those different, different, different operating models, different operating processes together, then that's where that confusion stems from. So I think if you walked into a, you know, walked into a figurative you know, project team room and weren't able to see the, the clean delineation of activity, then I think you're very much in the complex space. That's not to say that you can't have that simplicity and that clarity, but that, that is where the effort and the leadership challenge comes in to drive that in, not by default, but by design. I'd like to explore that a bit because I've got a real world example at the moment this week. So an unnamed project I'm looking at. Um, and part of the difficulty with this review was that, for whatever reason, the project had found themselves in the situation where every month um, they were reporting a snapshot of where they were. But the relationship between that and where they were the previous month and how that relates to the overall uh, programme and likely outturn was, was missing. So it was it was very hard to actually understand, even when you look at sort of three um, consecutive reporting packs, to understand what the rate of progress was. And so that made it quite hard to actually understand, you know, what the, the eventual outturn would be. And whilst <laughs> it was a project that was self-certifying itself as self-certifying as somewhat complex, I think everybody agreed it wasn't. Um, so I think there is something more to it than than that so sometimes it can just be a bit of a breakdown of managerial controls and insights that are the root cause of you know that inability to to see that not necessarily because of a, as a function of complexity um back to my point about straight line it's fairly easy to do to articulate um um some ways of improving that situation and i'm pretty darn sure in a few months time that will be the case it's not as a result of the complex simplifying the overall project. It's just a case of putting some managerial controls properly in place. 
I guess the point about simplicity, and it kind of struck me as I, as I finished speaking and Paul started talking there, is, is simplicity takes effort. You have to add simplicity in. It doesn't happen by, by default. So if you want to, if you want, if you recognize that one of the characteristics of, of good programs is moving towards simplicity, then leadership process has, has to be driven that way. It can't just be expected to happen. You know, Paul, you and I worked in, you know, two organizations, you know, together uh, and separately, uh, where the organizational culture was just by, by the nature of it to drive complexity in process. Um, you know, process never got removed. Process was always added to. And I think to, to break that mold, you have to be very conscious and proactive to, to go back to that keep it simple, stupid model. And, and to that point, I think, Dale, back to your question, one of the other indicators for me, and this is more of a qualitative, subjective, how would you really measure it type response. But it's it's the old schoolboys football stuff. So I don't know if you have this expression down in uh, Australia, Val. So when we talk about schoolboys football, you know, the images of you know just a bunch of young kids in shorts um, with catapults in their back pockets and the Beano under their arm playing football. But you know you know where the football is, even if you can't see it, because it's you know um, they're all um, they're all within two yards of it. Um, they're just following each other around. I don't know if you have the equivalent or even the identical um, analogy um, down under. Um, no, so, and but why do I say that? So on on projects, it's the um, when you see you know the, the team get together on Monday morning for their for their weekly get together, and it should be a half day meeting, and it turns into a full day meeting because you know there's stuff that we should talk about, um, and then the next day. Um, it should be um, a bit of a finance meeting. So they bring in a bunch of finance people to join them as well. Um, and because they haven't had time to look at themselves, they've been in meetings all day. Uh, and because of the meeting on Monday, they need to get together on Wednesday because these problems they couldn't solve. But they haven't had time to do anything themselves. So about time they brought some other people into the meeting or close to it so they can explain the problem. Um, and the finance guys need to be there because you haven't really closed down the finance stuff. And so the finance guys need to understand what the impact of the programme on the program is going to be these problems. And and you come to Friday, and this 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 group of people that started off as seven, eight of the leadership team have just been together all week, except the group is now 17, 18, 20 people. And everyone breathes a sigh of relief on Friday afternoon because they've got the weekend where they can finally get some work done before <laughs> they go through the cycle again. Yeah. Am I the only person that witnesses? No, no, you're not. not at all. I exaggerate only slightly for effect. It's it's but it's, it's it's an indication of are we driving simplicity into this or possibly the contrary and and why? What is it that's stopping us? It may not be complexity, but it's certainly one of those warning signs that says I need to ask some questions here. Mm, absolutely. I think it's actually uh, if you think about it, uh, particularly on mega projects, and it's driven by the client, as you said, um, uh, Al. It, You've got to get clear with the client. This month and period reporting pace rubbish. It it really drives a a pressure cooker in a complex environment when it really doesn't need to. Um, and if you could sort that out from the onset, from the start of the project, and understand that you don't need two weeks of updating and two weeks of reporting to run a project. I'm not convinced at all that that's the requirement, but that seems to be the case everywhere you go. 
And lucky for you, Dale, you get an extra period in your calendar because they have 13 periods at Transport for London. So good for you. But So it, it's really strange that you would run this pressure cooker only to be disappointed each month and then be given a whole bunch of actions, like you said, Paul, and then a whole bunch of pay, people you know, scurry away into a room to talk about it um, only to have to do the work on the weekend and st still come back with a problem the next month. I think that's also a, a dilemma. And, and again, it's policy and process defining behavior rather than the other way around. I'm not sure what the answer is because obviously you've got to go back to client and, and, and be on board a part of that journey as we talked about. But, but what's, what's your views on that? I think there is something about that continuum we talked about. And, you know, again, mm. it's one of those sort of behavioural um, things that um, we, we perhaps like to be in a bit of denial about. That you know, We like to think, you know, project manager, unique undertaking, et cetera. Every day is exciting and new. There, there is a lot of repetitive process stuff as project managers, task package managers, work package managers, that, that, that is part of everyday project. Not everything is new, and it should well, it shouldn't be anyway. There's a lot of recursive, repetitive stuff. And I'm just thinking, um, as you as you were talking there about about, yeah, if we're not careful with complex projects, we're being asked to report on stuff on a monthly drumbeat where it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's some aspects of it where, you know, every couple of months at most, maybe you know, periodicity to be defined, but certainly not on a monthly basis. However, my suspicion is there's still some elements of that project which we know we need to make sure being properly fed and watered and doing what they should do as the infrastructure, as the, uh, as the substructure to, to what the eventual outcome. Because if we don't get that stuff right, then all the rest of it is for the birds. So for me, I'm thinking there's probably some merit in some of it being subject to a more frequent drumbeat review, but let's not just put everything into the same thing with respect to be able to give anything meaningful on some stuff where the, the cycle time is just beyond you know, the, uh, the the usual reporting period. Does that make sense? Mm. It does. Yeah. And I think if I build on that, that, that comes back to you know Paul's question earlier on about how do you break the cycle? How, how do you change some of these entrenched you know cultural behavioral elements that, that drive that? And the, the, the words that come to mind on what Paul's just said is accountability, trust and risk. If you can define the right risk appetite and profile you know, from the client downwards, and then you can have the right trust and accountability within the teams to do the right things at the right time at the right level, then you can start to strip away some of that, that, that repetitive reporting and duplication. But until you can define, you know, where does that risk lie and who is the, who's the right person to be accountable for and, and then to manage that risk and how you trust those people to do that without looking over their shoulder 24-7 and reporting that on a weekly or monthly basis, then you're just going to perpetuate the cycle. And I know we have, we've, we've all worked in projects where when you actually break down the amount of time spent reporting on the monthly cycle you end up reporting on the monthly cycle about day two of the monthly cycle because it takes you the rest of the month to actually put the pack together go through the five levels of review that you need to get it to the ceo or to the md on the right day of the month and that leaves you about half a day to actually do the work that you need to do that month i think it's a good deal because um some of that repetitive stuff does need to be you know you need to make sure it's doing what it should be doing but the level of seniority of people that should be reviewing that uh, so let's just link link yeah. the two. Okay, yeah. Okay. Cool. It's it's a great um, another triangle. 
A R T. So art. There you go. Um, that's a great I'll one. Copy, I'll copy, I claim copyright on that one now. Yeah, <laughs> that's yours. But that's, it's it's a, it's a great one um, to kind of as as we head towards the the end of the pod because I know we don't have um, an infinite amount of time, but we we'd love to to um, you know have you back again. But um, j- just to recap on 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 all of it: complexity, complication, simplicity. Uh, that bio of Paul's, um, so much, so much, so much was said in this pod. Um, was there were there any final <laughs> thoughts from yourself, Paul? Perhaps last time you ended up, you gave me some good advice on on my looks. I wonder if you have any more for me this time. Well, um, there's no point giving advice if he doesn't get followed. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but any final thoughts from you, Paul? Um. I, I, I think this is one of Al's, um, quite rightly, um, one of his key points as well. Um, so what, what is the secret to all this? Um, you know, it's a bit of good drama, a bit of good theatre. I've done it certainly more than once. That when you're having a, a review of an overpaid person in a too large office and they go, OK, but, you know, what's the solution to me problems? And you go, you've already got the solution. You've written it yourself. And they look at you <clears throat> and you look at them. It's a bit of fun. Um, and they're wondering why if they're paying you a lot of money for your consultancy. And you, and you, in a dramatic fashion with your chiffon scarf billowing in the, uh, in the air con, you drop their own annual report on the desk in front of them and go, the answer's in your own annual report. You know? And I don't have to read it, but I could, um, I'll bet anybody that within the first few pages, the answer is written very clearly. It says, you know, our greatest asset is our people. And this point about people, process, and tools, for me, the primacy of that, that's a triangle. Oh, there we go. Um, the, the, the primacy <laughs> is, um, is, is the people side. The greatest asset is our people. So if we're going to have a discussion about what you are doing as a leader of this organization and helping you solve your own problems, let's, let's just, spend a few minutes reflecting upon how you're actually living that value. Yeah. No, great advice and, and, and good tips and another great triangle. Al, <laughs> did you want to follow up uh, to that? Uh, yeah, not, not much to add to that, uh, as you'd expect, because we tend to agree on these things. Um, I think the one point about leadership as well, and, and it goes back to the point that we made about vulnerability earlier on, and I think particularly reflecting on this year, to be effective, leaders also have to look after themselves. Yeah, uh, I think there's a final point for me, and it's kind of not not necessarily aligned to the sort of simplicity and complexity debate. But um, we can't expect others to do things we don't do ourselves in, in any shape or form, and particularly as leaders. Um, so if we're expecting others to look after themselves, others to show some vulnerability, then we have to have to be able to do those ourselves and demonstrate them and be visible doing them. Um, but I agree with Paul. It's it's all about people. No, fantastic. I agree with that too. Val? Oh, you left me to last. Uh, <laughs> I don't have anything to add, obviously, because on most days we all agree. Um, but it, it's just been great hearing both Al and Paul and their perspectives. And, and again, I think there was at least three or four triangles I'm going to have to write out after this. Um, but I, I also agree it's about the people um, and empowering that trust and building a culture of responsibility. Um, because one of the one of the challenges that I've seen a lot is is when it does get complex and when people's jobs are on the line and when the project's on the line, um, you know it's it's hard for people to take accountability, and so the leader's the first person to do that, 
um, you know, take all the blame, as you said, and none of the credit. That's a really good point. Um, and I'll just press that again. But it's a really good pod. And uh, thanks for joining us again today, guys. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. I appreciated all of your time, gentlemen. Um, I love the banter. Yeah. I, I love um, how much we go into banter mode versus serious topical mode. And there's so much knowledge, insight that that comes out of this. And as I said, we'd love to have you back perhaps in season three because you've done both season one and two now. Perhaps another panel debate we'll have you on or, or even a webinar. We've got some ideas um, in the pipeline. But thank you for your time. So, folks, that's all we have time for on this episode, but it doesn't have to stop here. Support our charities and access blogs at projectchatterpodcast.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe on your YouTube, on our YouTube channel and your podcast player so you don't miss the next one. A big thanks to our guests, Paul Goodge and Elsa Knight. Also, shout out to Dave Pulford for the amazing shirts. And thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me and Val, it's bye for now. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company or individual.